ish, 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 Ish Malzamora! Fusu View did it! He did it! He nailed the quintessential NFL draft late rising sleeper! Ish Malzamora! 6-3-224. Runs a 4-5-7 with a burst score over 135. Ishmael Zamora is explosive, but he's not very agile. So he compares closely to both Des Bryant and Chris Conley. The problem is the college dominator is a big part of the playerprofiler.com best comparable algorithm. So my fear is that he will not compare to Des Bryant and Ishmael Zamora will compare to Chris Conley. And that's fine. Chris Conley was an athletic monster who didn't fire. And that's fine. That's all we're looking for in our late round flyer wide receivers in the third and fourth rounds of Dynasty Rookie Drafts. Chase the upside. And that's all we've been looking for is the big explosive wide receiver that we can chase. And we found him in Ishmael Zamora. Ah! But Fusuvu and I cannot even have a day. We can't have a day to celebrate. Because here comes Elliot Christ from Pro Football Focus. He's here to tell us that the Ishmael Zamora is better than Mike Williams' take is the worst of the entire draft season. In all caps, stop it! Stop it, guys! Just stop it! Stop what you're doing! Elliot Christ, the Sean Spicer of draft Twitter, yes. Just stop what you're doing! Everybody just be quiet for a second. You're interrupting her. She asked the question first. Everyone just stop it. Stop talking about Ishmael Zamora and Mike Williams in the same breath. Stop even comparing them. They're not comparable at all. Ishmael Zamora is more comparable to Donald Trump than he is Mike Williams. And Ishmael Zamora only flashed for eight games. Mike Williams flashed for 16 games. It's a big difference. It's twice as many games that he flashed. Ishmael Zamora has not done enough to back up that asinine statement. Stop it! No, stop it! You two over there! Stop talking about Ishmael Zamora. Elliot Christ is banning Mike Williams' blasphemy, shouting down from on high that Mike Williams could not be challenged by a mere mortal like Ishmael Zamora. No, says Christ. Why is he Elliot Christ? Why doesn't he change his name to Jesus Christ? Blasphemy! You shall not blaspheme against my Mike Williams. He is my favorite player in this class. I will not hear of this blasphemy. I will not provide any quantitative analysis. What is this college dominator you speak of? Nonsense! I watch the film, and Jesus Christ is here to say that Mike Williams' film far superior to Ishmael Zamora's. Yes, there can be no disagreement about Ishmael Zamora versus Mike Williams. Mr. Fusuvu, you are out of order, sir! Your opinion means nothing! Asinine. I'm ending all debate now. There's no room for disagreement when forecasting Mike Williams' NFL production. And remember, Ishmael Zamora only flashed at eight games. Mike Williams, at least 16. 
except we talked to John Moore and Mike Williams only scored double digit touchdowns in a couple games, a number dwarfed by Corey Davis. As Mike Williams went on to post a 29%, 39th percentile college dominator, three percentage points lower than Ishmael Zamora. Ishmael Zamora, who had real competition for targets in the form of KD Cannon. Mike Williams did not have competition for targets. Jordan Leggett, Hunter Renfro, Deion Kane, Cornell Powell, and Trevion Thompson are not the same class of player as Katie Cannon. Katie Cannon is a much higher quality player than those guys. But you cannot question Mike Williams standing as an elite prospect, one of the top prospects in this class. And it is blasphemy to compare him to Ishmael Zamora who is measurably better than Mike Williams in almost every way. When you look across the data points, Mike Williams has an earlier breakout age, a better yards per reception, and that's about it. Ishmael Zamora is faster, more explosive, and was a more dominant college receiver in the face of significant competition for targets. So I really appreciated Fusuvu bringing Ishmael Zamora's quality to my attention and challenging Mike Williams' standing in this class vis-a-vis Ishmael Zamora, it made me think. I really appreciated that sports opinion, but Jesus Christ did not appreciate it at all. It was asinine, so stop it! Jesus Christ has been resurrected to police our joy. We can't have a day to celebrate Ishmael Zamora. Not on his watch. But Fusu Vu and Matt Kelly are not the only fantasy analysts in existence. There are a lot of people out there looking at these draft prospects, some quantitatively, some qualitatively, a lot of smart people with some interesting opinions about these draft prospects. So we should bring one of them on and ask him about Ishmael Zamora. Why don't we bring on Evan Silva from Roto World? I want to hear what he has to say about Ishmael Zamora. But before we bring on Evan, I just received an invite to join a Roto Underworld patrons-only Dynasty League on Reality Sports Online, and I'm fired up. If you want to join one of our listener leagues, I can't guarantee entry, but I will try. Go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, search Podfather, and become a patron of the show. You like what we do here? Support the show, join the community, and possibly join a listener league. We just launched our second league on Reality Sports Online after the first league filled because it's so popular. People love Reality Sports Online because it's the best platform for those that want a more sophisticated fantasy football experience. Reality Sports Online truly simulates the experience of being a general manager like no other. And if you're a commissioner, if you're administering a league, it makes the setup so much easier. It was a pleasure setting up a second league on Reality Sports Online versus the other options because I didn't have to navigate 700,000 settings. It was quick and easy to get set up and boom, the league is launched and we're off and drafting. And I'm excited. It makes me want to launch yet another listener league. So please join the community. And if you're already in a dynasty league, consider migrating it to Reality Sports Online. And when you do, use the promo code UNDERWORLD to get a 10% discount. Participants and commissioners alike, go to Reality Sports Online. Use that promo code UNDERWORLD. Now let's go talk to Evan Silva from Roto World. 
You can follow him on Twitter at Evan Silva. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. My man, Evan Silva from Roto World. The current leader in Roto Underworld Radio appearances, Evan Silva. Kelly, it's it's great to be it's great to be back, man. Um, it was great to meet you in real life. We got to throw back a few drinks. Yes, I have. I'm, I remember most of it, I think, <laughs> and I think it went all right. I just remember you towering over the others. It looked like Yao Ming, <laughs> and it was just interesting seeing the dynamics of all the guys. You're clearly the alpha dog, not just because of size, but also just because of there's a certain gravitas that Evan Silva brings to the table, or in this case, brought to the bar, and the intensity with which you share your uh, fantasy football opinions is very similar to the intensity of just day-to-day conversations with you. And that was the best part of it was just (laughs) digging in on a particular topic in person. I loved it. It was just a special opportunity to be around you and JJ and Reeves and, you know, like Ben Cummins and the dudes from uh, two QBs and, Uh, you know, Sal, and I mean, just people, I mean, we're, we're all like nutty, you know, we're all crazy. And we, we have this crazy passion about football and, um, you know, it just, I, I get really, real excited to be able to hang out with people like you because, because of your passion. I just, I have a lot of respect for that. Oh, thanks. And I noticed when we were all together, we were just buzzing between each other, only talking about football and not even knowing who was around us. A bartender, a waiter would come up to us and would have a hard time getting our attention because we were all so locked into the conversations that we were having, and it was great. And we talked about the rookie class. It was a big topic of conversation. Even going all the way back to January, everyone was looking forward to the rookie class. I remember back in January, it seems like so long ago, just a couple months ago, that was back when people thought this was actually a talented draft class. <laughs> That's a good one. This is a really talented class. Oh, one of the better skill position classes we've seen in a long time. I remember that was only a couple of months. All experts were sharing this opinion, and it was so wrong. Trade all your assets. You know, you, you got to get all the picks. All your good players for picks. Yes, sell all your good players for picks this year. This is the move. This is the year. Let's do it. No. I mean, the running backs are solid. They're very good. They're not great. They're not awful. They're good. They're producers. They're not athletic, but they're producers. They produced at an early age. That's the one thing you could say about this running back class. Who's at the top of your list? I know everyone's talking about these players, but I just want to get it out of the way. You got Fournette, Dalvin Cook. Christian McCaffrey, where do you see those guys getting drafted? And where do you see those guys getting drafted in fantasy football dynasty rookie drafts? Christian McCaffrey is my number one. Um, I think that he has the highest floor of all these backs. And all of my dynasty leagues are PPR. And I want my running backs in a PPR league to be able to catch passes. And he's excellent in the passing game. I think he's the best pass protection back in this class. Uh, He was one of the most athletic running backs at the combine, and he was absurdly productive in college, and he ran between the tackles in a uh, pro-style offense at Stanford. 
Just absurd. So, Put that in context. 50.7 dominator rating on playerprofiler.com. What was Christian McCaffrey's percentage of offensive yards and touchdowns that he accounted for in the Stanford offense? Over 50%. That's unheard of for a Power 5 conference running back. Normally, the running backs that have a percentage that high, we're talking about Joyke Bell, who went to a small school in Michigan. We're talking about Matt Forte at Tulane. Those are the running backs that have that upper 99th percentile college dominator cresting that 50% threshold. So for McCaffrey to do it from a Power 5 conference is just exceptional. Yeah, and I think that his draft range is probably like 18 to 35. I think he goes in the first round. I think he goes late late one. Uh, and I think he probably goes to a good team uh, that has a functional passing game, and he's involved right away. And I think that his floor, and I know this is so cliche, is Danny Woodhead, uh, but he has the, the ceiling of like a Brian Westbrook if everything kind of goes right for him. And I think there are a lot of ways to envision everything kind of going right for him. You know, there are just a lot of teams drafting in the in the mid to late first round that would be just such good fits for Christian McCaffrey. Um, My number two back is Leonard Fournette. I think that he will be drafted probably very early. I mean, I, I buy that the Jaguars will take him seriously at number four overall. I think that Tom Coughlin goes there and um, wants to change the, the mentality of their team and doesn't want to be in situations where Blake Bortles is turning the ball over you know, 30 times a year. And uh, I think that in order to change that team's identity, uh, I could see them using the number four overall pick on Leonard Fournette. They have a, a potentially great defense. I mean, their defense is outstanding and I think if they can become more of like a ball control defense oriented team and minimize the impact of Blake that Blake Bortles has on games uh, they could change the mentality and the identity of their team and be far more competitive than they have been the last two years even while during those last two years they have flashed signs of being like an explosive passing game. Two teams recently wanted to change their identity and go from vertical passing attack to a strong running game. The Tennessee Titans and the Dallas Cowboys did it successfully, but they did not do it by drafting a running back in the first round to start. Certainly, Ezekiel Elliott was drafted last year, but the Dallas Cowboys started that identity change process years before. And how did they do it? And how did Tennessee do it? Drafting offensive linemen in the first round. If Jacksonville truly wants to change its identity, it's draft a stud offensive lineman in the first round, not a running back. Here's the catch, Matt Kelly. There are no good offensive linemen in this draft. None? I mean... Who's in this draft, Evan? Should we just cancel the draft at this point? Who the hell's in this draft? There is an offensive lineman by the name of Garrett Bowles that some people think could maybe go in the top 15 or 20 picks. But beyond that, I think like another highly rated guy uh, out of Wisconsin is Ryan Ramchek, and he's like recovering from hip surgery. It's just it's a horrible offensive line class. So Jacksonville has Luke Jokel hangover. <laughs> they see this draft class as the draft class where they drafted Luke Jokel, and they're like, yeah, mm, no thanks. We're going in a different direction to change this identity. Can't be offensive line. 
I guess we'll just take Fournette. I mean, at this point, this class is so bad across the board that you just might as well go running back, I guess. The great players are on the defensive side of the ball, but Jacksonville just got A.J. Boye to pair with Jalen Ramsey. I mean, that defense is incredibly exciting. If they could just get some competent quarterback play, they would be a playoff team, and they actually have a competent quarterback on the roster. His name's Chad Henney. (laughs) I I don't even know what what to say to that. Um... You can just say you're right. Chad Henney's better than Blake Bortles, gives him a better chance to win because he's not a turnover machine, and he doesn't have the ball facing down during his windup. <laughs> that and that's why I think that they made this is why I think that they made draft a running back at number four, because then you don't need to see that ball turned upside down when Blake Bortles is dropping back to pass. Um they also signed Calais Campbell. I mean, and they were a top 10 defense last year. Yeah. Oh, this Calais Campbell is a monster. Yes. He is a monster. You see Calais Campbell standing next to other defensive linemen, and it's disorienting. Like, whoa. Yeah. So, all right. And then number three back for me is Dalvin Cook. I just think that he's not going to be drafted as early as people think. When I watched him play, I really liked him. But he has all these off-field and medical question marks, and he tested poorly at the combine. And so he's, I mean, he's just, he's got like a lot of question marks about him, even though he was super productive in college. He broke Warwick Dunn's all-time rushing record at Florida State in only three seasons. Uh, And I mean, I, I really liked him when I watched him play, but he, he doesn't pass protect very well. He had three shoulder surgeries in college. He's got a litany of off-field issues, and I know if you write anything about that on Twitter, like Florida State Twitter will will come at you and let you know how great of a guy he is, except for there were all these like recurring things. I mean, it wasn't just one thing. With Joe Mixon, it's really, you know, and not to minimize it, but it's really just one thing. With Dalvin Cook, it was like recurring off-field issues. Um, so, I mean, I don't know how to, I don't know how to evaluate that. And that's something that NFL teams have to do. And I, 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 luckily I am not in that position. Um, but he just, he's got a, he, he also fumbled a bunch in college. He had 13 fumbles in college. He had six of them last year. Six fumbles last year. Six. He's a conundrum player for me. He is a conundrum player. I can't figure this guy out. I can figure out most of the players in the skill position groups, but, ah. Uh, I just cannot figure out this Dalvin Cook guy. He looks great in the game, but everywhere else, at the combine, off the field, and these places in the box score that show up like fumbles is all red flags. And So we know he's fast, but he looks like a poor man's Tevin Coleman, and Tevin Coleman has yet to achieve primary back status in the NFL, and we just rarely see a player without much burst or measured agility perform well in the NFL. Certainly for a year, you can always perform well if you're behind an offensive line that's an efficient run-blocking unit. You get opportunity with a high-octane offense. A lot of running backs can do well for stretches, for periods of time, but sustaining production year over year, most of those running backs were exceptional athletes, those upper percentile spark score guys. You have exceptions, certainly. Arian Foster was an exception, and Dalvin Cook could be a fast Arian Foster, but I've already anointed C.J. Proceis as fast Arian Foster. We can't have two fast Arian Fosters. We can't be 
tethering every running back prospect to the one outlier. That The math doesn't add up there. So I am also not enthusiastic about Dalvin Cook. I have Dalvin Cook at number four because I have Joe Mixon at number one. So that's how it shakes out for me. Mixon, McCaffrey, Fournette, and Cook. And the reason why I have Fournette over Cook is mostly draft capital. He's going to get drafted early, as you said, and he is going to be a workhorse on day one. And so for that reason only, you have to like Fournette over Cook. Now, where would you ideally like to see McCaffrey land, for example? Green Bay, Indianapolis, Kansas City. Oh, oh, Kansas City. Now, Kansas City's interesting because Kansas City likes to feature the running game in the passing game, like to get their running backs active. But Spencer Ware was not an efficient pass catcher last year. No one looks at Spencer Ware and goes, oh, this guy, he's electric in space. That's not Spencer Ware's game. And we found out last year that's not really Sharkhandrick West's game either. Sharkhandrick West is absolutely just a guy. He should just change his name to Sharkhandrick Guy. I don't even know why they're bothering to put West on his jersey. Just put G-U-Y. He's a guy. McCaffrey being a featured weapon in that Kansas City short area game. Everything in front of the sticks. That's high volume for Christian McCaffrey as a chief. That's interesting. I mean, that's just four teams right off the top of my head who are drafting in the middle to late first round. uh, And he would be a great fit on all those teams. With Joe Mixon... Uh, I still think that his his draft position, and I know that the kind of it, people have kind of arrived at a consensus. Oh, he's definitely going second round. I still think that his draft position is a wild card um, because ultimately he's a guy that front offices and coaching staffs are going to have to run drafting him by their owners, and uh, you know I I don't know how many owners in the NFL are going to want to. Um, sign off on him to me he is pretty clearly the best talent uh, in the running back class and if there were no off-field issues and draft slot unpredictability and volatility I mean he would probably be my 1.01 over Corey Davis yeah oh yeah but I mean he's still a guy that I mean there are just a lot of ways that Joe Mixon can go wrong and um you know whether it's like he he gets an opportunity early and he struggles, and then you know people are protesting outside the stadium. Oh. I mean, you know he 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 could he could get drafted like in the fourth or fifth round and end up on a, on a team where he doesn't get early playing time. You know, it, it's I, I just I think that his draft position is is so difficult to predict, uh, and I'm not I'm not on board with this like consensus that. Uh, he is definitely going like early in the second round, like a lot of people seem to think. No. Here's why Joe Mixon being drafted in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round is a problem. Because at that point, any team can jump in and draft him. Any team without a running back need can jump in and draft him. A team like Miami had no problem drafting Laramie Tunsil last year after a video surfaced on draft night of him smoking marijuana out of a gas mask bong. That happened. I can't believe that happened. That was surreal. I still can't believe it happened, but it happened, and Miami said, well, come on down. Let's go, Laramie. Well, they're going to see potentially Joe Mixon on their draft board in round three, round four, and they're going to want to push the button because at that point, he'll be by far and away the most talented player available. And then what happens? He's competing for touches with 
Jay Ajayi. Jay Ajayi, who just posted multiple 200-yard games. You think they're just going to bench the guy that posted multiple 200-yard games in 2016? No, they're going to deploy him like Jacksonville deployed TJ Yeldon or like Joe Mixon was deployed at Oklahoma as the satellite back to Jay Ajayi, the grinder. Now, looking at Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon at Oklahoma, no questions about Joe Mixon's ability to be a workhorse, given the fact that he was splitting touches with a pumped-up plotter like Samaj P. Ryan. Is that concerning? The only issue, outside of the off-the-field that's been brought to my attention thus far about Joe Mixon, is his lack of college dominance because of the presence of Samaj P. Ryan, and Samaj P. Ryan commanded more carries last year. Is that a concern at all? Should I be concerned at all about that? No, I mean, that was that was the way that they played on offense. They had two really good backs. Uh, they had they Joe Mixon was like the the lightning to Samaj P. Ryan's thunder. Exactly, and, which is pretty amazing that Joe Mixon was the lightning at 228 pounds. That's, um, that's what I'm saying. That's right. But I mean, if you watched him play, like there would be a lot of plays where like Samaj P. Ryan would be like the lead blocker for Joe Mixon, and Joe Mixon would even be the lead blocker for Samaj P. Ryan, and they would play these guys together. Oh, I love that split backfield look. Oh, so good. And, and I mean, they had just an awesome, awesome running game. So I don't, that's not, I, I would not hold that against Joe Mixon. I think that one question mark maybe with Joe Mixon is that he's always in space because uh, they face so many uh, six and seven man boxes. I mean, they faced it a lot, faced a lot of light boxes. He was not, you know, he's not like Leonard Fournette or Christian McCaffrey running against eight man boxes. Um, so just the fact that he's always in space, the eyeball test favors him. Right. Hey, anybody that's in space is going to look better than someone who's trying to like grind between the tackles. This is the issue that I was constantly facing with these big 12 skill position players. You watch these big 12 highlights and it's just like watching someone play Madden. I mean, the big 12 is in a world of its own. It's like a league of its own, different and apart from all football anywhere else, where you watch Patrick Mahomes, you watch Katie Cannon, you watch Joe Mixon, and it just looks so easy. They're not getting touched running in for touchdowns. They're going for 80 yards after the catch regularly. That's the Big 12. So it's a little bit concerning when I see Big 12 players put up huge numbers, but Joe Mixon just checks every box. I mean, Joe Mixon, he's got the great efficiency. He's got the incredible pass-catching volume, 37 receptions, splitting snaps with Samaj P. Ryan is just incredible. As an every-down player, he would have had 50 receptions. Easy leap to make. And then running a 4-5 flat at almost 230 pounds, just an exceptional speed score and above-average agility and burst. He's strong. He's everything. I mean, I think that Joe Mixon is the one true first-round talent in this draft class. Yeah, same with me. I mean, I, I, I think that we, we, we are in lockstep, I think, on Joe Mixon. Um, I, I just think that people take it for granted that, that, like, the predictability of the NFL draft. I think that they really overestimate how predictable the NFL draft is. It's, it's one of the, the least predictable entities in all of sports and i mean like you can go back and look at uh, the huddle uh, mock drafts you know who wins that contest every year 
the guy is getting like 11 picks out of 32 correct. Um, it's usually like, like Bob McGinn of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel because he's so plugged in with uh, personnel people. He, he will get like 11 out of 32 right. And, you know, that's like the best mock draft score in the nation in the first round, which is supposed to be the most predictable round. You know, and then it, it becomes even more, even less predictable the further you go into the draft. Um, so uh, people say, you know, things with certainty about the NFL draft. That, that's really something that, that I try to avoid, like in terms of uh, NFL draft position. Um, and I think that they, they overestimate uh, the predictability, especially of a guy like Joe Mixon. Where is he going to get drafted? I think that he is going to be drafted on the second day. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if he goes later or significantly later than that. That's why I'm so terrified to draft all these running backs in the middle rounds of dynasty startups right now, because there's only a handful of running backs that we know are not going to face a significant competition increase in-house after the NFL draft. You have a handful of running backs like Ezekiel Elliott that we know are not going to have serious competition for their role in training camp. But a lot of running backs, and I mentioned Jay Ajayi, could face competition and it would come completely out of nowhere for their dynasty owners. And I'm sitting back here going, welcome to the NFL. This is the running back position. What did you think? It's a year-to-year position with most franchises. So don't be surprised when Jay Ajayi somehow faces competition and it's irrational. Yeah, Mike Tannenbaum isn't exactly a a reasonable general manager. He's always been a below-replacement general manager going back to his time with the Jets. So don't be surprised when a Mike Tannenbaum drafts a player that the team doesn't need. That happens all the time. 11 picks out of 32? That's what mock draft season is all about. How can we maybe get 10 out of 32 right? I mean, that's the goal in mock draft season. That's why mock draft season is useless. I have no use for this mock draft masturbation that we get in sports every single year. Now, I just want to study the players. I just want to study the players, and we'll see where they go. But I'm not worried about where they go. I can daydream about best-case scenario landing spots for certain players, but that's as far as I'm going to go. Yeah, I really want Christian McCaffrey to land on the Colts. I mean, that would be completely bananas. I would love that. Christian McCaffrey on the Saints. Oh, my God! Oh, my God! Yeah, I can think about that and fantasize, but that's about it. I'm not going to sit down and go through this exercise of guessing which team is going to pick which player 32 slots. What a waste. But looking at the individual player profiles, which rookie running back moved up your board the most the last 30 days, Evan? Aaron Jones out of UTEP is a guy that I did not know barely anything about early in the process. And then I saw Rotoviz kind of pumping him up. And, you know, that always, oh, I, I should look into that guy. Yeah. And so he's super, super productive. And then he went to the combine and he had one of the best combine performances in the running back class. And then I watched him play. And I mean, I, I thought that I thought he could play. Yeah. I mean, he's good. You know, he he's kind of small. I think he's 208, 208 pounds, uh, but he will he, he will run it inside. Uh, I thought that he showed good vision as a runner. Um, he has serious, serious big playability. The article on Rotoviz talks about that. I think he had like. I don't know. He had absurd long touchdown run numbers uh, at UTEP. 
87th percentile burst score on playerprofiler.com. So this guy has explosiveness. And he's got a game on draft breakdown against Texas, which is a you know a big time division one power conference school. And he is very productive and he looks better than the Texans defenders in that game. So he's a guy that I, I again I really did not know very much about early in the process. And my eyes have been open to this guy, and I think that he's going to be a really interesting third-day pick. Um, I mean, he's he's a great sleeper in this class. Outside of a couple wide receivers we'll talk about in a minute, of the running backs picked on day three, round five, six, seven, Aaron Jones is the one that I'm most intrigued about. My antenna is up with Aaron Jones. Where is this guy going to land? Because I contend that if Aaron Jones and Wayne Gallman switch places, Wayne Gallman played for UTEP and Aaron Jones played for Clemson, that we'd be talking about Aaron Jones in the same breath of Dalvin Cook and Marlon Mack and Dante Foreman and the guys just a notch below McCaffrey and Fournette. He'd be in that conversation. But because he went to UTEP, a lot of people don't know about him. But everything you said is correct. He checks almost every box. And for that reason, we have him in the top 10 rookie running backs on playerprofiler.com. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Check out our rookie rankings and you may be surprised to see how high we have Aaron Jones because Aaron Jones is simply good. That's it. Now, we mentioned Dante Foreman. A lot of people were excited about his pro day, especially the straight line speed, the 40 time blazed for a man of his size six foot 233 that's a 113.694 percentile speed score on playerprofiler.com so he has the size speed component that we look for we now know what kind of athlete he is is your opinion of him starting to crystallize he's a real tough one he's a tough one i mean he has one year of legitimate college production he was wildly productive in that one year i mean he won the doke walker award as the nation's top running back in a year where we had Dalvin Cook and Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey. And, um, you know, this guy was like, he's a classic one-year wonder. Uh, When I watched him play, I thought that he had really good athleticism and, like, feet for a big running back. He was a little bit smaller than I expected at the Combine, but that was just based on his uh, college listing. He was listed at, like, 6'1", 250. And he showed up at six foot two thirty three, which I mean that's fine, whatever. It's good. Um, and and then he went to the the or he he was diagnosed diagnosed with a stress fracture in his foot and did not do anything at the combine. And then he rips it up with a with a four four five um, forty at two thirty three at the Texas Pro Day. Did not really catch any passes in college, and apparently played last year with a broken hand. Okay, so that's the excuse they want to make because a lot of people, Evan, really love Dante Foreman. They really do. They love him. Mm. They love Dante Foreman. They can't get enough Dante Foreman. I mean, he won the Doak Walker Award, the first Texas Longhorn to win the award since Ricky Williams. And to hear people talk about Dante Foreman, you would think they were talking about Ricky fucking Williams. Okay, this guy's not Ricky Williams. His range of outcomes is incredibly broad. He could be Andre Williams. He could be Jonathan Stewart. He could be Jordan Howard. 
It depends. It depends on his landing spot because he does not catch passes. The reason you love Christian McCaffrey, he's much more landing spot dependent. And we're just not sure if he's an instinctual enough runner to succeed in the NFL in the long term. So for that reason, he's one of those guys that's going to get drafted at the end of the first round in Dynasty Rookie Drafts that I want nothing to do with. Yeah, he's he absolutely has a really wide range of outcomes, and he's a pretty classic boom-bust prospect. You know, there's no middle ground, I don't think, with Dante Foreman. No. We could envision a scenario three years down the road where we look back at Dante Foreman, and we're not surprised that he became like a stud, you know, a, a big-time NFL running back. And we also would not be surprised if he's like not even finishing his rookie deal in the NFL. Right. These are the players that I just can't draft in the first round of a dynasty rookie draft. I need my players to have higher floors or be pass catchers. Just one of the two. Just give me something that gets me excited about the player beyond just his ability to run between the tackles. I need more than that. I need someone that looks a lot more like Jeremy McNichols than someone that looks like Dante Foreman. And that's just the difference. I mean, when you talk about the type of running back that I like, what's my type, what's your type? Well, my type of running back is Jeremy McNichols. If you're looking for the running back that I am going to love and you look at Jeremy McNichols, his production and his measurables, you're like, oh, that's a Matt Kelly running back. You look at Dante Foreman, that's not a Matt Kelly running back. And you were talking on the road of his podcast recently, and you mentioned David Johnson and Jeremy McNichols in the same breath. You said that Jeremy McNichols could have a David Johnson-esque career path. How is that possible? How could you say that with a straight face? See, this is this is one of the risks that you run mentioning you know a player in the same breath as David Johnson. You know, I mean, it's it's not realistic to expect Jeremy McNichols to be anything close to David Johnson. No, but they do have sort of similar profiles in that they are coming out of college. They're both well coming out of high school. They they both played wide receiver and they had to learn to play running back at the college level. And they did show the although they I think that, that you know there are some ways that you could nitpick um, their the way that they ran the football on college film. They both showed the ability to be workhorses, and uh, they were both in, like very impressive receiving backs who you could tell that the coaching staffs at the college level knew how good they were in the receiving game because of the ways that they were used. They were used heavily in the passing game. They ran wide receiver routes. They lined up in the slot. Um, and then they go to the combine, and they both, of course, David Johnson is, again, you know, at this different level than Jeremy McNichols, an entirely different level. And I'm not comparing them as players, but the, the, the career path is sort of similar. They both went to the combine and they ripped it up. And so we have in Jeremy McNichols, a guy who is clearly like a work in progress, I think, as like an interior runner, but has a floor as a receiving back and is a really good athlete who could improve um, once he gets into like an NFL weight room and, um, you know, with, and works with NFL running back coaches and coordinators and head coaches or whatever. So um, I think in that way, they have the potential to be somewhat similar. I do not think that Jeremy McNichols, it's not even in his range of outcomes to come anywhere close to what David Johnson is in the NFL. But I think that he's a guy that when you watch him play, you may be unimpressed by him as a runner, but he has all these other characteristics that suggest he's a better prospect 
than you may have the takeaway of of having when you just watch him run between the tackles. Right, he's not a creative, instinctual runner. That's not what he is. When you watch him play, it's maddening because he's clearly fast and explosive and agile. Then you see him running straight into defenders, and you're like, "What is going on here?" Like, this guy, it's like a painter that's just learning how to paint, but clearly he has the strokes down. But just the painting that he creates is kind of off. It's not attractive. You know, like you have the strokes down, but you, you you haven't quite put it together to actually create something that looks exquisite yet. But you have all of the baseline skills. And no, he doesn't have David Johnson's baseline skills. He's not as explosive as David Johnson. He's not as big as David Johnson. He can't be David Johnson. David Johnson is best case scenario for a size speed specimen and Jeremy McNichols at 214 isn't exactly that but when you watch Boise play you keep wondering what are these plays they're calling these are weird plays to call I watch these formations what are these formations I've never seen these formations they're just creating formations to get Jeremy McNichols the ball in space we always talk about this this player needs to get the ball in space more Remember Percy Harvin? The coaches need to scheme him into space. The coaches are doing a bad job of scheming touches for Percy Harvin. Well, I'll tell you what. The Boise State coaches wanted to and succeeded in scheming touches for Jeremy McNichols. He would go out as a wide receiver and then come back, run a bubble screen, and they would just have all these creative ways of getting him the ball. It was clear that in practice, the Boise State coaches were looking around and going, oh, okay, so it's pretty clear that our best athlete's Jeremy McNichols, and we're just going to create a whole game plan around getting him the ball. And that's why college dominator matters, because the college dominator is 41.4% for Jeremy McNichols. Nichols in a Division I program, that's good. That's very good. And it's partly because of his own ability to produce, but it's also partly because the coaches see raw ability and they just want to exploit it. That's why I think the arrow is pointing up. And he's not as landing spot dependent as someone like Dante Foreman. Jeremy McNichols is going to carve out a role on almost any NFL team he lands on. Yeah, I was reading his PFF college scouting report the other day, and they compared him to Pierre Thomas. Um, for me, when I watched him play, I thought that he would he would be on like a um, like I thought his floor could be like a Travaris cadet, and he could maybe become like a Bilal Powell sort of back. Uh, but I really like the Pierre Thomas comparison, yeah. and he would fit that bill of just the, a, a sort of running back who uh, could fit into pretty much any offense and could be a, a very high level fantasy producer, which Pierre Thomas was in the right situation. Right. So we talked about picking late in a first round. And the reason I keep coming back to this is because I happen to be picking late in the first round of most of my dynasty rookie drafts. And I don't really know what to do, Evan. I need your help. It's very challenging once those top six players are off the board. What do you do at the end of a first round in Dynasty Rookie Drafts? Trade the pick for a player that's already good in the NFL. Judges. That's the correct <laughs> answer. Evan Silva got it right. Because your choices are someone with... The highest possible ceiling, which is 
Curtis Samuel, but Curtis Samuel also has a low floor. He may not find a role in the NFL outside of special teams. So that's the definition of a low floor. And then you have tight end. And tight end is typically an elongated development curve. Those guys take time. They need to percolate most of them. Some of them, Greg Olson, Martellus Bennett, don't break out until they hit their second or third team in the NFL. I love David Njoku, and I love O.J. Howard, and I like Bucky Hodges, but no, I'm not going to be drafting a tight end in the first round of a dynasty rookie draft. I mean, it's just not going to happen. think it's a good idea. Maybe it's fun. This class is so bad, you might as well go with the one position that's actually strong, the tight end position, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to trade it for a productive veteran, someone like Kenny Britt, someone like Eric Decker. Here you go. And you can get more than that for a late first round pick. You can get Kenny Britt plus. You can get Eric Decker plus. Hell, you can get Eric Decker and Kenny Britt for a first round pick in some dynasty leagues. They're that irrational. It's amazing. So let's talk about the wide receivers. Corey Davis. Are you nervous about him at all? Because I'm nervous. I'll just tell you that. I'm nervous. Should I be nervous? Um, I'm not nervous. He suffered an ankle injury while training after the senior bowl. And it was a pretty severe significant ankle injury i mean i think he tore two tendons in his ankle um, but i think it's going to be a pretty routine recovery for him it's just i'm not sure that we are going to see him work out before the draft he has told people that he is going to work out before the draft don't do it don't do it Corey. don't do it please don't I, I don't want him to work out before the draft i mean i want him to work out before the draft because i want the data because we run playerprofiler.com hello but if i'm Corey davis i'm not working out just like if i was dalvin cook or i was dalvin cook's trainer i would have been saying no don't work out let the film speak for itself we know you're not particularly explosive we know your three cone and your 20 yard shuttle are not impressive so just don't do it he's another guy with a very volatile draft slot projection. I mean, I could see him going, I think Josh Norris put him at number five recently in one of his mocks. I could see him going number eight to the Panthers, but I could also see him going in the 20s. You know, I mean, he's a relatively small school receiver with no pre-draft workout. It does help him that this is just such a bad receiver class. You know, it's, it's so many role players. It's just number two and number three and number four receivers all throughout the class. And Corey Davis, to me, is the only receiver in the class with a chance to be a legit number one receiver. I think that Mike Williams has some qualities to where he could be like a, a lowercase Al- Alshon Jeffrey, who I think is probably a lower end number one NFL receiver. But I think that Corey Davis has helped, you know, even though he has uh, the, 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 the small school resume and the no workout metrics, he's the only receiver in this class who projects as a potential true number one. I think Corey Davis would have run around a 4-5 when he was timed by scouts in previous years. That's about where he was running. So that's that eases some concerns there. But you just rarely see players outside the power conferences get drafted in the first round. Brashad Perriman's the only one in the last 10 years to get drafted in the first round out of a non-Power 5 conference. Right there means I'm betting on an outlier of sorts. And now I don't get to see his other athleticism metrics outside of having a general idea about his straight line speed. It's just too much uncertainty for me. We talked about Mike Williams. Mike Williams has an Alshon Jeffrey-like ceiling, I agree, but his floor is incredibly low, similar to Dante Foreman. He could be great, or he could be an epic 
epic bust. It's very possible. Everyone can see it. I mean, everyone I talk to, even those that really like Mike Williams, all admit that there's something about him that exudes bust potential. It's hard to put your finger on it sometimes. But by consensus, everyone agrees that Mike Williams has an incredibly low floor. And these are the reasons why, in general, I'm trying to trade my rookie picks, not just the ones in the late first round, but also all my rookie picks. It doesn't matter where the draft slot is because I'm just nervous about all these guys. The guy I like the most could get drafted in the fifth round. That's such a gigantic problem. Whereas if you had the 101 last year, you just picked Ezekiel Elliott and you moved on. You had the 101 the year before that, no problem. You pick Amari Cooper and you're happy. We don't have that this year. I wanted Corey Davis to be that. But until I see him at the Combine and I know what kind of agility he has and burst and everything else, be very difficult. And even then, even then, I wouldn't have Amari Cooper level confidence in Corey Davis because he went to Western Michigan. Which leads me to John Ross. Where would you like to see him land? Ravens. I, you know, just Ooh. somewhere where he can go get targets. But there really are no good landing spots for him when you when you map it out. And it's almost tough to envision right now how he could emerge from the draft with an outlook that you are excited about from a fantasy standpoint. First of all, he's small with a horrific injury history, and he was productive only one year in college. When you put it like that... <laughs> He's not a guy that you can have a lot of confidence in right off the bat. Um, and then, you know, like his skill set and his profile, do, he does not really profile as like a high-volume NFL receiver. He profiles as a low-volume role player. And um, I don't know, I guess the, the popular mock destination for him right now is the Bengals at number nine. Now, that, that does not seem like something that Mike Brown, penny-pinching Mike Brown, is going to do after giving, uh, re-signing Brandon LaFell, giving A.J. Green big money recently, and using a second-round pick on, on uh, Tyler Boyd. Okay, breaking news right now. Run the breaking news. John Ross will not be drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. Get out of here. Yeah, I don't think that they're taking him. And they have to pay Tyler Eifert soon. So I, I, I don't think that that's even realistic. But that is the popular mock draft destination for John Ross today. Bullshit! <clears throat> yeah, this was a trick question of sorts because the answer is what you said. There is no good landing spot for John Ross. I mean, it's a riddle, right? It's a riddle. Where do you want him to go? Uh, uh, ooh, that destination has a bad quarterback. Oh, that destination has a game manager. Oh, that destination already has a field stretcher. Oh, that, oh, oh, that, oh, oh, that, oh, oh, that. Oh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, they just signed Deshaun Jackson. Oh, oh, blah, 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 blah. It's like, it's all you see are red X's across the board when you're trying to find a good landing spot for John Ross. Yeah, like if, if you're drafting an MFL 10s right now, um, you can get a guy like Curtis Samuel in like the 17th round, whereas John Ross goes like 13th, 14th. Curtis Samuel is a guy who, depending on his landing spot and where he's taken in the actual draft, I mean, he could be like a ninth round pick after the draft in MFL 10s to where if you were taking him in the 17th right now, you could end up with a ton of equity with John Ross. I don't know that there is any landing spot where he is going to gain a significant amount of equity post-draft. 
Now, the problem with John Ross is he's being priced at his peak everywhere. NFL teams are pricing him at his peak, and fantasy gamers are pricing him at his peak. So on a lot of levels, he's not attractive. He's the opposite of a value. But there are slots in that top five wide receivers in rookie drafts where you could sneak in one of those underappreciated wide receivers, one that actually will have great value and could get drafted sooner than expected and then could somehow jump five rounds in MFLs post-draft, just like you said. Other than Curtis Samuel, who's another receiver like that, specifically the one that has leaked into your top five rookie wide receivers? I mean, probably Chris Godwin, um, but I also like Carlos Henderson and Taewon Taylor in that mold. Um, And obviously these are the guys that you wrote down on the show sheet. Hey, we share sensibilities because we talk to a lot of the same people and look at a lot of the same data. So it's not surprising that we would like a lot of the same players. It's not coincidence. It's just how concentric circles overlap. We've talked about Chris Godwin a lot on this show. Last week, John Moore loves Taewon Taylor, has him as a top five wide receiver, as does your colleague at Roto World, John Norris. But talk to us about Carlos Henderson. What do you like about Carlos Henderson? John Norris. Did I say John Norris? Yeah. Oh, shit. Josh Norris. God damn it. Edit that out. That's going in the outtakes. No, it's not. It's going to stay in the show. Carlos Henderson. Uh, man, love that. Love that broad jump, man. I think he had 11 foot one broad jump. Really, really explosive slot receiver prospect. Um, love his numbers uh, at PFF College in terms of his missed tackles forced. He just, his last year at Louisiana Tech was superlative. I mean, he he was a dominant, dominant player, and he had a great combine. And so I I think he's a good prospect as a secondary number two or number three NFL receiver, probably a number two. I mean, he's, I think he's athletic to play outside. I think he will be like a slot Z sort of receiver. Oh, yeah. Not an X, but a slot Z sort of receiver. I think that Taewon Taylor could fit into that mold as well. A little bit different, not not quite as like a physical tackle breaker as Carlos Henderson. Yeah, Taewon Taylor's more Doug Baldwin. Carlos Henderson is more Golden Tate. Yes, I think that's a, a great way to put it. Yeah, with Taewon Taylor, I thought that maybe he could be Emmanuel Sanders as well. Right. Yeah, Carlos Henderson is exciting. I'm l- trying to figure out What's not to like about Carlos Henderson? But like Emmanuel Sanders, like Golden Tate, like Doug Baldwin, these are players you're going to need to roster on your taxi squad in Dynasty Leagues. They're not going to break out in year one. Of the guys we've mentioned, Chris Godwin has the best chance to break out in year one, but even him, it's a low probability. These are guys you want to stash, but what they've shown at the college level is a willingness to work. And they check a lot of these boxes where, yes, they're not prototypical X receivers because there aren't prototypical X receivers in this draft. It's another one of the flaws of this draft class is its utter lack of prototypical X receivers at the NFL level. A bunch of nice looking slot flankers a la Henderson and Taylor. But those players take more time to command targets in the NFL. They often have to find themselves with the right quarterback as well, like Doug Baldwin being paired with Russell Wilson. So with Carlos Henderson and Taewon Taylor, target them at the end of a first round or the beginning of the second round in your dynasty rookie drafts. Just put them on the taxi squad and just don't trade them. Just sit on them. And then in year two or year three, one of those two is absolutely going to break out. Now you mentioned the broad jump for Carlos Henderson, 11-1. 
Do you know who else recently jumped 11-1 today? Yes, someone who also measured in at six foot four, two hundred twenty pounds. <laughs> Ishmael Zamora! Woo! It's on! It was a big day for Fasu View. Fusu View nailed it, and I am happy to be a Fusu View surrogate. I'm a take surrogate. I will take his takes and then broadcast <laughs> them on my channels as if they're my own. So, Ishmael Zamora, what do you think? He's a riser. I mean, I watched him play, and he was not the number one receiver at Baylor. So when you're watching him play, it's like there are so many plays that are going to other guys. And then there are so many plays where you know, in that offense, like they are allowed to take plays off. And it's just like, like I, don't, I don't like to watch Ishmael Zamora play. But there were instances where he would get the ball and I mean he's he's the best athlete the, the, the best athlete on the field you know he's a much better athlete than KD Cannon at a much bigger uh, in a much bigger body right um, so but but he was a young I think he was a sophomore last year right well he was suspended for a year so he's on that Joe Mixon career path right he's going to the NFL early with only two years of experience right so and he really only played one year Correct. He only played any significant snaps in that one year. Ishmael Zamora is interesting because he did share targets with Katie Cannon. And this is the great value creator in Dynasty Rookie Drafts, touch distribution. If you're locked in Mortal Kombat for touches, like Samaje Pirine and Joe Mixon were locked in combat for touches in Oklahoma, it diminishes the production of both players and creates value. Well, the same phenomenon happened in the Baylor passing game where Katie Cannon cannibalized targets from Ishmael Zamora and vice versa. This is what we saw at LSU with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. So same concept applies to these Baylor wide receivers. That's why we have both Katie Cannon and Ishmael Zamora in our top 10. So... Yeah, I mean, I think we know that he's a talent. I mean, he's not going to check any boxes in terms of, like, market share or dominator rating, right? I mean, he had a lot of games where he didn't do anything. In those yeah, games. those are the exceptions. I don't yeah. look at dominator rating much with KD Cannon and Ishmael Zamora because there's a lot of competition for touches on those teams. Same thing with Curtis Samuel. Lots of competition for touches on the Ohio State offense, can't look at their dominator rating through the same lens you would look at a Cooper Cup's dominator rating. Give me a break, please, Cooper Cup. Get out of here. I don't even know why I threw that in. That was just a gratuitous takedown of Cooper Cup within an Ishmael Zamora take. I mean, what's wrong with me, man? You just don't like Cooper Cup. Well, that's it. That's really it. Do you like Cooper Cup? I mean, do you like this guy? Well, what kind of bothers me and bugs me is when at the Senior Bowl, you know, this happened with Braxton Miller the year before. Oh, yeah. I guess they look good running routes on the practice field. And, you know, then some draft Nick tweets that they think that, that this guy is going in the first round because he looks good running routes in mobile. Right. Or in mobile. And they look mobile and mobile. The same thing happened. The same thing happened with Braxton Miller the year before. Braxton Miller was supposed to be a first round pick after the senior bowl. And then people kind of, you know, as you say, zoomed out and realized that Braxton Miller was never going to be a first-round pick. Cooper Cup was never going to be a first-round pick. Ever. Ever. Right. And he was very, very productive at Eastern Washington. When you watch him play, he's another guy who's always in space, running routes against 
I mean, like they would play him in like off coverage and, you know, he, I mean, he's the best player on the field, but he's going against guys who will never even make an NFL practice squad. Those aren't fields even. Those are red turf. What is this yeah. red turf? I mean, blue turf is one thing at Boise State. What's this red turf? Get out of here running on red turf. A gimmick offense. The only noteworthy player on the field with even a modicum of athletic ability. Get out of here. And he played slot receiver. He wasn't even playing outside. Oh. The only time that he would line up outside was when he would run back inside to oh. catch a bubble screen. Joke. And try to gain yards after the catch. You know, he, he's a slot receiver in the FBS against, I mean, ho- you know, oh. terrible competition. Oh. Um, so you're telling me he's not the next Jordy Nelson? Is that what you're saying? No, no. No. The other guy that became a high-riser post-senior bowl was Zay Jones. Now, what's the difference between Zay Jones and Cooper Cup? One is a good athlete. That's it. That's it. So... Zay Jones is another guy who he's also bigger than Cooper Cup, um, but he's another guy with like prolific production who accrued it in a manner that is not really like conducive to the the quote unquote pro style. I mean, he caught a lot of bubble screens, a lot of quick hitters, but he's a really good athlete. So yeah, I mean, he could translate. There's just question marks about yeah. how he compiled his production. I have question marks about that. I'm allowed to have question marks about it, but at least he has the athleticism, 1027, 92nd percentile catch radius. His workout metrics are strikingly similar to Trey McBride, another player who played at a small school. There was uncertainty about his ability to translate, but you drafted him in rookie drafts in the fourth round because you saw that 90th percentile catch radius, and you said maybe he can develop. And I thought that's what Zay Jones was going to be. But then Zay Jones, see, Zay Jones goes to the Senior Bowl, Evan. And at the Senior Bowl, all these wannabe scouts on Twitter get to watch you play and, more importantly, watch you practice. And they get excited, just like they got excited about Cooper Cup. And then what was Trey McBride becomes a possible first-round pick. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Zay Jones went to the same college as Justin Hardy. And he pretty much broke Justin Hardy's records. Yeah, he broke all of Justin Hardy's records at East Carolina. And it's the same offense, you know, the, the same style of play. And Justin Hardy, we've kind of seen, he, you know, he's just like a number four NFL receiver. But he was not athletic. And Zay Jones is athletic. So I'm keeping a more open mind for Zay Jones. But again, you know, it's dude played at East Carolina. And he's not you know, and he played slot receiver at East Carolina. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, can he be Jordan Matthews in the pros? Maybe, I guess. I mean, I don't think so. Jordan Matthews was the most prolific wide receiver in the history of the Southeastern Conference. And Zay Jones was the most prolific wide receiver in the history of Conference USA. So sure, it's possible. But my great litmus test with Zay Jones and Cooper Cup is, do you think this player is better than Isaiah Ford? That's the threshold for me. Because Isaiah Ford was a precocious producer for a major conference with a bunch of underrated defenses in the ACC. And he's not the athlete that Zay Jones is. But I think because he produced at such an early age in that 35% plus dominator rating level, for me, Isaiah Jones is a more impressive prospect 
than Player X from a small school who put up video game numbers. Isaiah Ford scored 37 points per game as a high school senior basketball player. Get out. Yeah, seriously. Um, I, I thought he had some Marvin Jones to him, potentially. Um, yeah, he's really, really young. He's he's rail thin, man. I mean, can can this style of receiver succeed in the NFL? Yeah, 6'1", 195. This is the Tajay Sharp prototype. Yeah, Tajay Sharp. I'm not sure. What we saw with Tajay Sharp is he was incredibly impressive as just a pure football player where the coaches said, we need to get this guy snaps. It didn't work out for Tajay Sharp in year one because he couldn't separate from defenders, partly because he has that low BMI. So that worked against him, but I think he can learn the nuances of the position and find a way to get separation even at a low BMI in the future. If he's getting snaps as a rookie, that's encouraging, and I think that's what's going to happen with Isaiah Ford. He's going to arrive in minicamp as a player that's fully formed in the eyes of NFL coaches where Zay Jones is going to arrive, and they're going to have to teach him the position from scratch. Know what I mean? I do know. We talked about Aaron Jones earlier, non-Power 5 conference running back. Is there a non-Power 5 conference wide receiver that you're interested in at all? Anyone? I mean, you've brought up Krishan Hogan. Yes. And uh, the, the Marion Football Twitter account sent me – I, I wrote on Twitter that I couldn't find anything to watch him play. And the Marion Twitter account sent me a YouTube clip of Krishan Hogan's highlights. Nice. And, well, the, the YouTube clip didn't even work. Oh, so but Ooh. but he is a really interesting guy. Um, There's a lot of big receivers in this draft that are also yeah. great athletes, and it's very interesting when you look at Robert Davis, when you look at Kenny Galladay. There's some interesting guys. Jerome Lane. It's hard to distinguish them. They all seem to blend together to me in that area where I'm drafting players after the Zay Joneses and Isaiah Fords have gone off the board. Any of those big, small school players appeal to you besides Krishan Hogan, or are you pretty much just zeroing in on a late round flyer running back in the fourth round of dynasty rookie drafts? Yeah, I will definitely zero in on, on just taking shots on running backs. That's right. You know, Trent Taylor out of Louisiana Tech. Uh, I think that he's a little bit interesting, but he's very, you know, he's going to be very limited. He's five foot eight, 181 pounds. I, I think that maybe he could become like a Cole Beasley sort of receiver. He's, he's, he's a receiver who, a slot receiver who makes things happen after the catch. Like Gabe Marks. And this guy, like after the catch, he just runs into defenders, whereas a guy like Trent Taylor will run around defenders. I mean, but but it's hard for me to find tape or, or games of these guys online and therefore hard for me to develop a really strong opinion about them beyond just looking at stats and combine measurables. I think that in the fourth round, I'm, I'm definitely looking at running backs. I'm looking at Brian Hill. I'm looking at Elijah McGuire, who's a guy that Josh Norris really uh, likes. You mean John Norris? J John Norris. Just running backs that that I like for a, a reason, whether it be they, they're athletic or they were really productive in college or they can catch passes or ideally all of those three things. You know, Those, those are the players that I'm probably going to take shots on uh, in the fourth round and then just hope that they uh, get opportunity. Yeah, Brian Hill, big. 
219, productive, 34.2% dominator rating, and good but not great measurables across the board. So average agility and above average burst and speed score. Why not a guy like Brian Hill? He's like a poor man's Aaron Jones. If you can't get Aaron Jones from a non-Power 5 conference, go with Hill. And I agree with that approach, generally speaking. I'd rather throw a dart on those late-round running backs in rookie drafts than the late-round wide receivers, where we talked about with Carlos Henderson and Taewon Taylor. Those are already long shots to be productive in year one and maybe even year two. You want to increase the odds even further? You want to make them even worse by going with a Krishan Hogan? No! Get out of here with the fourth-round wide receiver in Dynasty rookie drafts. The probability is so minuscule. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we should talk about the quarterbacks briefly. My top quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. I want Patrick Mahomes to go to the Arizona Cardinals so bad because he'll just run all go routes. John Brown, Jerron Brown, J.J. Nelson, all go routes, and then drag route underneath to Larry Fitzgerald. It would just be so incredible to watch Patrick Mahomes in that Bruce Arians offense with those weapons. Sends a shiver down my spine just thinking about it. Patrick Mahomes, incredible pocket presence, incredible awareness of the defenders around him. His ability to know when to throw or when to run was exceptional. Very Derek Carr-esque at Fresno State. Also, quick release. Ball just slings out of there instantly with Patrick Mahomes. I can't figure out for the life of me why he's not the top quarterback by consensus on NFL draft boards. Because of the offense in which he played, uh, which has never produced a successful NFL quarterback, and because he played out of structure and improvisationally in a, a you know wide-open spread offense, and that is nothing like what the NFL utilizes. That's what they're holding against him, really? That's what they're holding against him. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, yeah, I'm not saying that it's right. I mean, I love his physical tools. I love his production. Um, I see. I think he's going to appeal to the Browns, who are going to look at objective data like production, like um, you know, just his, his size and, and you know, how big his hands are and um, how smart he is. I mean, he's a 4.0 student. And I think that he will be high on a team like the Browns draft board. And he fits the, the mold of a Hugh Jackson style of quarterback because he's got that big arm. You know, you think about like Hugh Jackson traded for Carson Palmer uh, with the Raiders and just got essentially yeah. got fired for that, by the way. And then Carson Palmer was like an MVP candidate when he went to Arizona after the Raiders gave him up for nothing. Um, oh, Jackson's still mad about that. Yeah, and Hugh, Hugh Jackson uh, acquired uh, Jason Campbell in Oakland as well um, uh, and uh, coached him in Washington too. Last year, took a chance on Robert Griffin III, who was a, you know, a really athletic, big-armed passer. So I think that the Browns are a team that will like Patrick Mahomes. It's just, you know, you're going to have to build the offense around him, which – it's, it sounds silly that we have to say that. Like, of course you should build your, your offense around your the quarterback, um, the, right? The, the strengths and weaknesses of, of the most important uh, position in pro sports. But 
you, the, you know, the, the NFL is very, very slow to adjust. I mean, the NFL, in terms of like, utilizing spread passing games, is a half decade, maybe a full decade behind college football. So let me get this straight. Just let me get this straight for a second. The NFL is holding Graham Harrell against Patrick Mahomes. That's happening. This is maddening to me. I mean, Patrick Mahomes forced Davis Webb to transfer. Davis Webb looked at Patrick Mahomes and said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm out of here. Check, please. Yep. <laughs> if it wasn't enough that he was incredibly productive and efficient, not just prolific, but super efficient, system aside, who else was thought to have come from a gimmick system? while being super productive and super efficient. Marcus Mariota. That seemed to have worked out really well. Why? Because when you watch Marcus Mariota play, regardless of the scheme, he was a great football player. He had all the physical tools, and he was a great decision maker. That's all it takes. You have the physical tools. Are you a great decision maker? Well, yes and yes for Patrick Mahomes. He has the best arm in this class, and if you watch the tape, the one thing that stands out is he is a terrific scrambler. Yeah. He knows when to run and when to throw when pressured, and he knows how to get leverage on defenders to get those extra yards on the second level. It's amazing to watch him play. He looks like such a savant out there. Now, again, I only looked at the highlights, so clearly I'm only looking at the highlights. No wonder he looks like a savant. This guy's making the right read on every play. Wow, this guy's the best football player I've ever seen. You're watching a six-minute highlight reel of a condensed season, Matt. Of course he's going to look like a genius. But I've seen a lot of highlight reels. His highlight reel is a hell of a lot better than Jared Goff's highlight reel. I can tell you that right now. hell of a lot better than Carson Wentz. I mean, if you liked Carson Wentz last year, you have to love Patrick Mahomes this year. So this is unbelievable to me. It's just like what we saw in 2014 when you had three bad quarterbacks get drafted in the first round. I would still argue that Teddy Bridgewater is not bad, but he's just been snake bitten. Regardless, you have three quarterbacks that have produced you nothing in the first round, and then one of the first quarterbacks off the board in the second round was the one true franchise quarterback in that class, Derek Carr. Patrick Mahomes is the Derek Carr of this draft class. I'm in. I mean, the problem with Graham Harrell and Cliff Kingsbury was that they didn't have NFL skill levels. Patrick Mahomes very clearly has an NFL skill level. Right. And, I mean, his dad was a major league pitcher for 11 years. I mean, he's, it's, it's not like this is, you know, this is not, he's not a phony. You know, he's, he's a really good athlete who comes from an athletic family and has a great arm. His dad was a major league pitcher. He might come into the NFL with the best throwing arm in the entire league when he arrives. I mean, that's how good his throwing arm is. I thought the NFL loved to chase the arm talent. What's going on? I feel like the NFL has turned upside down. If you wanted to wave around Graham Harrell to make a case against a player that doesn't have the necessary physical tools, well, you should point it at Deshaun Watson. Because Deshaun Watson doesn't have requisite arm strength to succeed in the NFL. If you want to use those case studies, use them against the player that lacks the physical tools. Not Patrick Mahomes! And here's the thing. I think that the NFL is going to chase this guy. And then we are just starting to catch up to it. Because, what was it, you know, three weeks ago? No, Patrick Mahomes, he's not going to go in the first round. And then, you know, one week ago... 
you know, Patrick Mahomes, he might have a chance to go in the first round. Mm-hmm. You know, and now people are talking, oh, the Cardinals, ooh, maybe the Browns at 12. You know, it's it, we're, we're usually just catching up. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just playing catch up. We don't we don't know. You know, the, the people in the NFL draft media really don't know uh, about what, what is going to happen in the NFL draft. And I know this particular sports take upsets a lot of people. I get it. I'm essentially saying Deshaun Watson is the next Jason White from Oklahoma, the last Heisman Trophy award-winning quarterback to not be drafted. But is that such a ludicrous leap to make? Why? We saw a Heisman Trophy award winner in Jason White not be drafted. I'm not saying this just to be provocative. This isn't the podcast equivalent of clickbait. This is not me being a provocateur. I simply believe that Deshaun Watson can't play in the league. But the draft Knicks are telling us that Deshaun Watson is a first-round pick. But how many times have we been watching the first round and you have these quarterbacks in the green room that lack the requisite skill set of a real first-round pick, suddenly they fall out of the first round? Why is this poor quarterback, Geno Smith, in the green room all by himself, sipping on water and everyone's gone? looks so sad. He looks all alone. Oh, poor guy. I wish I could go there and keep him company. About to make millions of dollars. Aww. Well, I'm just here to ring the bell as a warning to tell you that this could happen. Don't be surprised when this happens. When picks start going off the board and Deshaun Watson's at the top of the big board across all NFL draft analysts, and yet he continues to not be drafted. Because I've told you why, you're not allowed to be surprised. Like, for example, first-round pick who's real, first-round pick who has the measurables, the guy that who exceeds expectations across the board is David Njoku. You want a player like David Njoku. Your NFL team is better off with a player like David Njoku. If all of your positions are stockpiled with talents like David Njoku, you're going to win the Super Bowl. In an otherwise weak class, why not draft the most talented player from the strongest position group, the tight end group? What do you think of David Njoku? Love him. Oh, yes. Love David Njoku. Really like O.J. Howard. Really like Evan Ingram. I mean, I think that all three of those guys are legit, really good NFL prospects. David Njoku, I think when you're watching those guys play, stands out as the most dominant player against his competition. And I think that because he has experience as an inline player, something that Evan Ingram really doesn't have, and Bucky Hodges, Bucky Hodges has zero experience as an inline player. And this is what NFL teams want their tight ends to have the capability of doing um, is to line up on the line of scrimmage and, you know, maybe chip block or help block a, a defensive end or you know, chip and then go run a route or go run a route. You know, they, they have to be able to do a variety of different things or, you know, line up on the line and, and go in motion. Um, David Njoku has done all that. Uh, you know that that offense at Miami was was pretty pro style, and David Njoku with the ball in his hands is a man amongst boys, which is scary at his age. I mean, he's like what? He's, he's not he's not he's not twenty one yet. Is no, he? he's twenty point eight years old. David Njoku is one of those guys. He's that kid in middle school in sixth grade with a mustache. Yes, yeah, and his tackle breaking ability after the catch is is exceptional. I mean, I have never seen a tight end, you know, maybe since Gronk or Kelsey, uh, with the capability of breaking tackles like that uh, after the catch. He averaged something absurd, like 11 yards after the catch. 
Um, and, and he can block. I mean, he's, he's a pretty good blocking tight end. And that will, yeah, I don't know that he's necessarily going to be a fantasy factor in year one, maybe along the lines of a Hunter Henry, maybe a little bit better than that. Um, but I think that that will help his transition into the NFL and ensure that he sees immediate snaps because he can block. No, I think he will be inserted immediately as a blocking tight end. So big and strong and such great burst. Catch radius, 10, 30, 92nd percentile. And what was interesting is when he caught passes, because of his yards after the catch capability, 16.2 yards per reception at Miami at age 20. So this is a guy that was putting up wide receiver type production while dominating edge rushers on the line of scrimmage when called upon to run block. So he's just an exceptional athlete all around. And the thing I like about him the most is, like Krishan Hogan, I talked about this, both of them wear those wristbands on both sides of the bicep. And that's the one thing you'll notice in those Krishan Hogan highlights that are grainy and don't work when you try to play them. But if you somehow get a picture of Krishan Hogan, you'll see has those two wristbands on both sides of the bicep, and it makes those biceps really pop out. And that's Krishan Hogan. He's a wide receiver. He's pretty strong. David Njoku has those wristbands. But when you have the wristbands on a David Njoku arm, it makes it all the more impressive. I mean, this guy, he's going to be something special. So we talked about it earlier. Who am I drafting if I can't trade away my late first round pick? It's David Njoku at 111, 112. Happy to take David Njoku after my competitors are drafting Dante Foreman. They're drafting John Ross. They're drafting OJ Howard. Players that I believe have both lower floors and lower ceilings than David Njoku, whose ceiling is best tight end in the NFL. I'm like a dog with one of those collars. If you say Cooper Cup, you're going to get a reaction. You know, I can't not react if you say Cooper Cup. Yes, someone who also measured in at six foot four, two 220 pounds. <laughs> Ishmael Zamora! Woo! It's on! It was a big day for Fusu View. Fusu View nailed it! And I am happy to be a Fusu View surrogate. I'm a take surrogate. I will take his takes and then broadcast them on my channels as if they're my own. Christian McCaffrey on the Saints. Oh my God! Oh my God! I have no use for this mock draft masturbation that we get in sports every single year. Oh my god! Oh my god! You shall not blaspheme against my Mike Williams! And I'm sitting there with Nike on, and, and it's a mess. Then suddenly he rips his shirt off and reveals an Adidas tank top. And then I slowly unzip my jacket, and I have an Adidas sweatshirt on underneath. And then we jump up in the air. I slam the jacket on the ground. It, it got really crazy at the end. Oh my god! Oh my god! 
I'm actually thinking of an answer right now. <laughs> I did. I, I I read the show sheet, but I, I did not write down an answer for this one. Now we mentioned Dante Foreman, or is it Dante Foreman? Is it Deonta Foreman? Dante. Davis Webb looked at Patrick Mahomes and said, "Oh no, 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 no! I'm out of here. Check, please." <laughs> Wow, this guy is the best football player I've ever seen. You're watching a six-minute highlight reel of a condensed season, Matt. Of course he's going to look like a genius. We need objective data points to use as a starting point if we are going to be trying to predict the future, which is what we're trying to do with all this, right? I mean, analytics are probabilities defining possibilities. All we're trying to do is win on the margins. I mean, it's a one out of 32 chance that a team wins the championship every year. And that's all we're trying to do is try to get an extra few percentage points projecting these guys, what they're going to do in the NFL. If I'm a GM running my organization, Dalvin Cook's probably not going to find himself in a range that I consider value. And that's okay. Someone else will. That's okay. You know, David Njoku is one of those guys. He's that kid in middle school in sixth grade with a mustache. Like, look at Antonio Brown, dude. Like, I mean, he was super productive at, what, Central Michigan, but nothing in his combine numbers or his size or anything really, or even, you know, his draft position, nothing really suggested that he was going to be like this. He was probably like an underrated prospect. He was great on special teams, and he was a dominant college receiver, but he's a he's an outlier. Tom Brady's an outlier. Yeah, these guys are fucking aliens, dude. Yeah, they're aliens, dude. Aliens happen. LeBron James is an alien. How can a player log that many minutes above and beyond everyone else and not get tired and not get worn down? So you're telling me he's not the next Jordy Nelson? Is that what you're saying? No. No. And then what was Trey McBride becomes a possible first-round pick. All the Dynasty dudes asked me to be on their podcast at the beginning of the season. I was like number one on their list for whatever reason. I have felt myself lapsing into reruns. There's no way to not do it if you're overexposed. To be honest, a lot of the people that listen to this show don't listen to a lot of the other shows. They like to be abused by the host. My man, Evan Silva from Roto World. The current leader in Roto Underworld radio appearances, Evan Silva. That was back when people thought this was actually a talented draft class. (laughs) That's a good one. This is a really talented class. Oh, one of the better skill position classes we've seen in a long time. I remember that was only a couple months. All experts were sharing this opinion, and it was so wrong. See, this is... This is one of the risks that you run mentioning, you know, a player in the same breath as David Johnson. We can't have two fast Arian Fosters. You see Calais Campbell standing next to other defensive linemen and it's disorienting. Like, whoa! He should just change his name to Sharkandrick Guy. I don't even know why they're bothering to put West on his jersey. Just put G-U-Y. He's a guy. A video surfaced on draft night of him smoking marijuana out of a gas mask bomb. That happened. 
I can't believe that happened. That was surreal. I still can't believe it happened, but it happened and Miami said, oh, well, then come on down. I mean, I think that Joe Mixon is the one true first round talent in this draft class. Yeah, same with me. I mean, I think that Joe Mixon is the one true first round talent in this draft class. Yeah, same with me. He's small with a horrific injury history, and he was productive only one year in college. When you put it like that. <laughs> He's not a guy that you can have a lot of confidence in. John Moore loves Taewon Taylor, has him as a top five wide receiver, as does your colleague at Roto World, John Norris. John Norris. John Norris. What was it? Uh, Jason Jason Fitzpatrick. No, Jason Fitzgerald. No, Jason Fitzpatrick. Oh, yeah, the Fitzpatrick Fitzgerald thing killed me. Oh, God. That was so embarrassing. Yes, I think that's a, a great way to put it. I don't even know why I threw that in. That was just a gratuitous takedown of Cooper Cup within an Ishmael Zamora take. I mean, what's wrong with me, man? You just don't like Cooper Cup. Check, please. <laughs>